We begin a brand new series today, brand new, brand new. It's going to get real up in here today. And look, it's not my fault. It's your fault because you asked the questions. I feel a little bit like Phil Robertson today. If you didn't want to know, you shouldn't have asked me. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> so let's talk about the purpose of this series called Ask It. You guys have submitted questions. You've sent questions online. You've sent questions on the little card. And, um, and so we're going to try to answer those questions. Let me talk about the purpose again of this series. We want to be a church here at the bridge that is not afraid to talk about any subject, that is not afraid to tackle any subject. Now, you don't talk about every subject publicly, but you can give information on any topic, any question anybody wants to ask. Okay? So we'll be happy to do that. Um, just send your questions in. Uh, we decided that the best way to back that up, back up that claim, is to let you ask questions anonymously. You didn't have to put your name down. And so we got some really honest questions. Uh, we thought the only way to get totally honest questions, again, uh, was to let you do that without putting your name. So the purpose of this series is to give you the very best answer we can uh, to any question you want to ask and to demonstrate the kind of church we are, again, a church that's not afraid to uh, talk about any topic. Uh, now I want to do a little disclaimer. That's a little section on your notes. If you're going to follow me in the notes, they're beside you in the chair there. You can follow along, take little notes. And I will tell you that because of the holidays and everything, I didn't get a chance to put the details in your notes. Uh, I had to print that off before my sermon was completed. So I'm going to give you some scripture references today you're going to need to write down because I had to release that before the sermon was uh, totally completed. Um, the disclaimer is this. As you can imagine, many of the questions that are going to be submitted and have been submitted are very controversial. So you need to go ahead and uh, know that you will, during this series, no doubt, hear or read some things that you're not going to agree with. Now, it's important that we all agree on the essentials, like the virgin birth of Jesus and uh, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead and that to be right with God, we have to receive the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus Christ. Now, those are essential things. But there are some things that I can have a different opinion than you have, but we can still be brothers and sisters. Isn't that true? So I'm going to say some things that you're not going to agree with in this series and if you are saying, well, if I hear something I don't agree with, I'm going to go to another church. I'm leaving. Let me be the first one to tell you I love you and hope you enjoy your new church. Because <laughs> you're going to hear some things. That you're probably going to go, well, I wasn't brought up like that. I, I, I was brought up to view that this way. I wasn't brought up to view it that way. But it will be on non-essential things. Nothing's not important, but there are some things that are non-essential. Uh, now, some of you have different backgrounds in relation to the church and the Bible and Jesus and God and the whole thing. Some of you were brought up in a church or in a home that had no religious um, um, area. They didn't talk about religious things at all, no religious inclinations at all. And uh, so you don't have very much of a background and maybe haven't ever really thought that much about God or, or maybe you're just learning to think about God in the church and the Bible. 
Some of you were brought up in very formal churches, very liturgical, had a lot of ritual and a lot of uh, ceremonies that went on during the worship service every week. Uh, some of you were brought up Catholic. Some of you were brought up Protestant, and like Baptist, and Pentecostal, Methodist, maybe even Jewish. Some of you may have been brought up uh, Presbyterian, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon. I could go on and on and on. So the deal is that some of you were brought up um, in, in ways that when I express what the Bible says, it's going to be the first time you ever heard it. So you're not going to be sitting out there going, amen, amen, or that's awesome, I agree with that. You're, you're going to go, i got to check that out. And I hope you will. I hope you will. I, I, it, nothing would make me happier than for you to take what I say and check me out and uh, find out how right I am. Um, again, some of you were brought up with no mention of God, and, and uh, a lot, some of you might have even been brought up to be against the church, that the church is filled with judgmental people, that the church is filled with controlling people who want to control you, greedy people who just want your money, hypocrites, churches full of hypocrites. And when people tell me that, I go, yep, we got some hypocrites, but come on, one more won't matter. And um, it's hard. It's hard when you've been brought up like that maybe to get past some things. So the good thing about God is he loves you where you're at. He loves you where you are in the journey. You know, he asked Peter, do you love me up here? Peter said, I love you down here. So Jesus said, okay, I'll take that love because that's all you can give me right now. But then he wants you to grow. He wants you to develop. He wants your love to become deeper and of a higher quality. So with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Do you really think it's possible to go through four sermons answering questions that you ask and think that you're going to hear something you don't agree with? That would not be that would not be realistic. You're going to hear some things you don't agree with, so I just want to set the stage for that. Let's talk about some of the questions that came in. I'm going to answer as many of these questions as I can publicly in these sermons. I've got three more after today uh, that I'll be preaching. Uh, it's a four-part sermon series, but many of them will be answered on our website. We're going to answer every question. Um, there are some, there are some uh, exceptions, and I'll talk to you about those in just a minute. Um, but we're going to answer them on our website. So every question that was submitted, we're going to put it, put it out there. Some people didn't ask a question. They wrote a statement. So I'm just assuming they didn't want to ask me anything. They wanted to tell me something. And so that's fine. That's fine. We got that. You told me, and you're wrong, but I got it. Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I got to tell you, I, and I don't mean to pick on anybody, but I got a few questions. I could not figure out what they meant. So, so I asked the staff, and they um, didn't know what they meant either. So uh, if you don't get your question answered and uh, you don't see it on the website answered later, then you might want to resubmit it. You can resubmit it to me, and uh, you can do it anonymously again and say, I guess you didn't understand my question. I'm asking blah, 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 and, uh, and, and clear it up for me, and I'll be happy to respond to that at a later time, Okay. Uh, with all that said, uh, we told you that you could ask Bible questions, you could ask whatever you wanted to ask, you could ask me personal questions about me, and some people did that. If you look at question number one, look what it says. Have you ever looked in the mirror just to admire yourself? <clears throat> the answer to that is, yes, I have. And it has been a huge disappointment for me each and every time. <laughs> Looks like I just give up, don't I? 
They said, what is your favorite color? And my favorite color is October. Who agrees with me? Isn't the fall, isn't that the best? You say October's not a color. Get a sense of humor. All right. Question number three, and this is where it gets serious. Why do you think divorce is so widespread in today's culture? And why do we as Christians accept it so easily within the body of Christ? That's a good question. That's a good question. So buckle up because you're about to get the answer. All right? I want to I answer this by actually quoting somebody. His name is Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, Stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N. He writes for Focus on the Family. He writes uh, a lot of, uh, uh, for a lot of other organizations. And here's what he says. This is, this is interesting. We often hear people say Christians divorce at roughly the same rate as the world. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that? It's one of the most quoted stats by Christian leaders today, and it's perhaps one of the most inaccurate. Based on best data available, the divorce rate among Christians is significantly lower than the general population. Now let me put a little comment in there. If you say the divorce rate in churches is about the same as outside the church, then you'd be right. But what he wants to do is draw our attention to a fact, a truth. Listen to this. He said, here's the truth. Most people who seriously practice a traditional religious faith, be it Christian or other, have a divorce rate that is markedly lower than the general population. Serious, serious believers. The factor um, making the most difference is religious commitment and practice. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes marriage last longer. Not that you're in a church, but that you're committed to Christ. Couples who regularly practice any combination of serious religious behaviors and attitudes like these attend church nearly every week, attend church when it rains. That one's not on there, but I just threw it in there. Uh, this is what he says. Read their Bibles and uh, spiritual materials regularly. Pray privately and together. People who generally take their faith seriously, living not, I love this statement, living not as perfect disciples but as serious disciples. You like that? Don't you like that? Because none of us are, but we can all be about following God. That's exactly right. He says these people enjoy significantly lower divorce rates than mere church members or the general public or, or an unbeliever. The divorce rates of Christian believers are not identical to the general population. They're not even close, he says. Listen to this. Being a committed, faithful believer makes a measurable difference in a marriage. Saying you believe something, saying you believe something, or merely belonging to a church unsurprisingly does little for marriage. 
But the more you are involved in the actual practice of your faith in real ways through submitting yourself to a serious body of believers, learning regularly from the Scripture, being in communion with God through, your, uh, through prayer individually and with your spouse and children, and having friends and family around us who challenge us, to take our marriages seriously, the greater difference this makes in strengthening both the quality of a marriage and the longevity of a marriage. And then he ends with this three-word three sentence, faith does matter. So what I want to do is answer directly the question this person asked. And let me remind you of the question. You look at it on your notes. Why do, you, why do you think divorce is so widespread in today's culture? And why do we as Christians accept it so easily within the body of Christ? Here's the answer. The reason is that it is accepted so much in the church is it's a spiritual problem. Being in church doesn't make you spiritual. Now, I helped you all understand last week that getting in the oven doesn't make you a biscuit. Isn't that right? I mean, if you come here, you're going to get some deep teaching. You need to write that down. So being in a church doesn't make you committed to Jesus. Being a member of a church doesn't make you committed to Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm going to just take a whole other step. Being in a church and being committed to a church or being a member of a church, even giving money to that church doesn't even mean you know Jesus. Doesn't even mean you're right with God through the person of Jesus Christ. So the problem is that it's a spiritual problem. The reason that churches have the same divorce rate as people outside the church, it is a spiritual problem. Secular society generally doesn't care what God or his word says about marriage. Have you ever been watching secular news in the morning or secular talk shows or, or any, any of that secular stuff on TV and they go, well, let's look at what the Bible says. Never. They don't care what the Bible says. Matter of fact, they think we're crazy because we believe the Bible. And sadly, far too many churches and church attendees, let's listen to this, have ignored the scriptures and taken their cues from an increasingly godless culture. Back when I was a little boy, preachers used to make this statement. I didn't know really what it meant. I sort of knew what it meant, but boy, I know what it means now. They'd, say, they'd be preaching and they'd say, the world is creeping into the church. Amen. Amen. And when I talk about that, I mean the beliefs, the, the philosophies of the world are creeping into the church. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. Here's the deal. The church is guilty of this too. The church is guilty of this too. Now we know people outside the church are guilty of this, but it's getting in the church and that is this. We have determined that God's rules are too strict so we have decided to make our own rules. And it's not working out very well, folks. Because when God tells you to do something, or God tells you to not do something, it is not to restrict you. It's to help you. That would have been a great place for an amen right there. It is not to restrict. When God says, thou shalt, that is to bless you. When God says, thou shalt not, that's not to go, yeah, I know it's great, but you can't have it. I didn't God up there going, nah, 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 I'm in control. <laughs> God's not a control freak. God's like, I don't want you to do that because you'll get hurt if you do that. You'll get hurt. 
And then when we preach what God said, people go, you're being judgmental. You're just being judgmental. No, we're trying to keep, you know, if your kids run out in the middle of Interstate 95 or Highway 70 and they go, we're going to play kickball right here. Is that okay? I mean, do you as parents go, well, I don't want to judge. Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, that's insane. We go, you're not playing out there because a big truck will run over you. Or Pastor Farrell. <laughs> Some people I've almost run over right there telling you it's true. It, you, do you see what I'm saying? You know, it's like, it's like God laid down the law for us to protect us. Do you know that's the same reason we have government and have laws of government? And you say, well, I don't agree with all of them. I don't agree with all of, of, all of them either. But, but laws and rules of society are for our protection. They're for our protection. You say, well, I believe they infringe. I, I know, I see all that too, and I agree with you. I think there are some areas. But generally, what laws are made for is not to deprive you of something, but to protect you, to take care of you, okay? So if I can bring it on home now, right here where we are, I am sad to report to y'all that our pastoral staff is met with increasing resistance as we continue to stand on biblical values when it comes to marriage. We are running into more and more, can I just be honest? Can I be honest? We run into more and more resistance when we tell people what God said about marriage. When we tell people, listen to this, you want to really get somebody upset? Tell them what God said about separation. Because, man, we're separating like crazy. We just had a little argument. I'll tell you what, why don't you go stay with your mom? I'll just stay, well, you know, just separate. Like it's nothing. It's very, very serious. It's very, very serious. So when we teach about separation, we teach about marriage, and we teach about divorce, and look, these aren't rules we talk about. These aren't guidelines that we came up with. These are policies. These are core values that came out of an understanding of what God said. So it's apparent to us also <laughs> that people often agree with us until it affects their family. Did I say that out loud? I did say that out loud, didn't I? Man, pastor, preach the truth, preach the truth. You understand, preach the truth, pastor, we're with you. So then their daughter comes to us and goes, I want to get married. And we do premarital counseling and we say, you know, we just don't feel like you guys are ready to get married. In the premarital counseling, this came up and this came up and this came up and this came up. And those are things you guys need to get resolved before you get married. So... We don't believe it's time, and so nobody on staff here at the bridge is going to marry you until those issues, until we can work through those. Can I have some married people amen me right here on this? Now listen, wait just a minute, and I'm going to say it, and then I want you to, you know, I don't normally. <laughs> How many of y'all, I never had premarital counseling. I never had it. You know, back in that day, you just didn't do it. You just you went to the preacher and you know, if you had $50, no, <laughs> my dad married me. I think he did it for nothing. But anyway, um, we didn't do it back then. And we saw, we see now that we're reaping, we're reaping that. So we have very strict process you have to go through if you want one of the staff members here at the bridge to marry you. 
And if we determine through prayer and counseling and, and uh, um, we, we give you this assessment and, and we determine that there are just some issues that need to be dealt with, we're not going to marry you. And I've got to tell you, I've had people I love dearly who have left our church because we wanted to protect them. We just wanted to protect. Do you think that we sit in our offices and go, I can't wait to tell them no. We know what's coming when we say no. And it's not good usually. Uh, occasionally we'll look at somebody and say that and they'll, they'll be appreciative. They're disappointed, but they'll be appreciative because they know what our efforts are. But I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, when you as a minister are marrying people and you're hearing a year down the road, two years down the road, five years down the road, a bunch of the marriages you perform to break it, you've got, it's your responsibility as a man of God and a pastor and a preacher to do something about that or do everything you can about that. But we've had people get mad at us. And I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you what the policy is. It's a core value. I mean, if we go through that process with you and we pray and we look at you, we're going to have very concrete. It's not going to be vague. It's not going to be this thing where we're going to look at you and go, oh, I believe you should get married. You know, it's not going to be like that where you, you're like, why? We're going to say, here's why. Here are the reasons. Here are the things we need to work through. And sometimes there are things that can be dealt with in a short period of time. But sometimes... When those things come out, there's big resistance. And, and the guy don't want to deal with it. Or the gal don't want to deal with it. How many of y'all think if they got married, that might be a problem? So we don't do it. We don't do it. And we get criticized. And again, people quit our church because of it. We've had that happen. So at the uh, risk of offending you, i got to tell you guys, it's not my job as your pastor to please you. Thank all two of you. It's not my job as, as the pastor of this church to please you. It's not my job as the pastor of this church to please your family. Hey, listen, it is not my job to please me. I mean, sometimes God tells me to preach on stuff, and I go, really? And he always says, yes, really. And, and so it's important that you understand that God wants a pastor to see that no matter how permissive and worldly and ungodly it becomes out there, that we preach the same message in here. That's my job, is to make sure that the Word of God pre gets preached without compromise. So I and the entire church leadership team are here to tell you what God says about things, not what the current culture says, not what the politically correct crowd thinks we ought to say, but our job is to preach what God says to the best of our ability. And look, we're men and women and we're human, and sometimes we, we might say the wrong thing. There are things I used to feel dogmatic about that I've changed my mind on now because the Bible isn't dogmatic about it. I was just feeling that strongly about it because it was kind of how I'd always heard it and always heard it taught. But then I realized, you know what? God never said that. Jesus never said that. So I, I've changed about some things, okay? Question number four. You, everybody all right? You guys okay? Number four. I have recently accepted Christ back into my life. In other words, I've recently recommitted myself to Jesus, and what a joy it has been. 
I just want to know, how do I get my husband to come around, her husband who's not a believer, to come around and understand that I as a person have changed for the better and I want my children to not always question why their daddy doesn't want to come to church. To church would be in parentheses. I want to show our kids the right path, but it is very hard with only one parent involved. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Look what Peter says. Wives, in the same way, because most of the time, if there's a spouse who is a believer and a spouse who is an unbeliever, most of the time it's the woman who is the believer and the man who's not the believer. But listen, not every time. I've had several situations since I've been the pastor of this church where the man uh, was the believer and the woman was the unbeliever. So it's not 100% of the time, but it is most of the time. So Peter says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, watch this, if any of them, your husbands, do not believe the word, they may be won over, how? Without words. The Greek word for that is stop nagging. Write that down. <laughs> they may, so that they may be won over, how ladies? Without words, except instead of words, they will be won by the behavior of their wives when they see the and of your. So the answer to that is your actions speak louder than your words. Stop talking to him. And start loving him. I'm going to tell you how to win your husband to the Lord. Now, I'm not promising you he's going to come around. But if you're, and this goes for men who might have a wife who's an unbeliever and you're a believer. Here's the way to win that wife. Here's the way to win that husband. Love them. Love them. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells believing wives that they are far more likely to win their unbelieving husbands to God by respecting them and loving them with the love of Jesus. If a believing wife does not respect an unbelieving husband as the head of the household in all matters not involving conscience, in other words, if he's trying to get her to commit a sin, then she has to look at him and say, I, I can't in good conscience do that because that, that's a sin. That would be a sin. She cannot win him to Christ. I think somebody asked me about tithing too. Let me just throw this in there. If you're a believer and your spouse is an unbeliever and you want to tithe but your spouse, your spouse rejects that, I mean they just really, really reject that, then you know what you do? You, you don't tithe. Because if you do, it's going to bring a division in that marriage. So you, you do what your spouse agrees with you to do and trust God to redeem their soul and for them to come to Christ and then they will see the light on that area and they will come together on that. Because if you don't, and if you say, listen, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, they don't understand that. The Bible talks about the natural mind does not comprehend the things of the Spirit. So if you see, now, now if he goes, okay, I mean, it's your money, you made it, if you want to tithe, then do it. 
But if it's going to bring division in that home and division in that marriage, then don't do it. Okay? You say, well, I don't agree with that. Okay, that's fine. You're wrong, but that's fine. Okay? All right? So, so uh, I just throw that in there. So, so you're never going to win them without respecting I love what one preacher, I heard a preacher say a long time ago. He said, a demanding preachy wife may drive her husband to hell, but she will never get him to heaven. <laughs> Amen? So, I mean, you can, you can go, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to get him, so you can do that all you want to. It's just not going to work. And you may, if you do it that way, and you don't do it the way the Bible says you're supposed to do it, you may actually hinder him from coming to Jesus, and he end up in eternity without Christ. You know what? Let me just tell you something. That's how we win everybody to Jesus. That's how we win everybody to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? It isn't just how a believing wife wins an unbelieving husband by loving him. That's how you win anybody to Jesus. If I've got a guy at work that I'm trying to witness to, and you guys know where I work, I do a lot of witnessing. And so if I've got, some, if I've got a neighbor, if I've got a friend, if I've got a family member I'm witnessing to, listen, if I'm going to preach to that guy or preach to that gal every time I get around them, what do you think they're going to do? Stay away from me. They're going to want to hear a sermon. That's why some of you parents out there and grandparents, uh, your children won't come see you and your grandchildren won't come see you because they want to, you want to preach to them all the time. Did I say that out loud? I'm telling you. Love, love, love wins people. Love brings people in. The believing wife is to set a godly example that the unbelieving husband can follow. I love this statement. She must win him as a wife before she will ever win him as a Christian. That's such a big statement right there. So wives, now that you're walking with Christ, remember that you, because you're saved, Jesus lives inside of you, you're a Christian, now you've got supernatural love. You've got a hunk of hunk of burning love in you now. Okay? Somebody out there is going, is that Greek? Yes. And so... So love, you can love your man now like you never could love him. You can love him with a deeper love. And here's what you want to do. You want to love him in a way that whether he says it out loud or whether he just thinks it, he goes, you know what? I don't know what's happened to her, but nobody's ever loved me like this before. I don't know what's going on in her life since she started going out there to that bridge, but I've never seen anybody respect me. I've never gotten this kind of respect from her. I've never felt more cared for by her. I've never felt more treasured by her. And then you know what? He'll go, what's going on? What's happening? Where is this coming from? And he'll end up asking you, why, why do you... I, you know, I'm not ready for this whole church thing, but gosh, I got to tell you, you really have been making me feel so valued recently. And, I, and then that gives you the chance to say, honey, it's Jesus. It's Jesus inside me. And I want you to have Jesus inside you. And then stop. Stop talking. <laughs> How many of you have ever been to sales school? You've been to sales. Anybody ever been to sales school? Anybody in sales? And you've been... Most people that are trying to sell something talk too much. 
and it's the best, and you just got to have it, and you need to buy it, and it's on the deal today. Shut up. <laughs> Put a word in for God and hush. There's some unbelieving husbands sitting right here going, Amen. Now, I want to I conclude question number four with a two-part warning to women who want, a man, want your husband to be a man of God, and he's not one yet. I want you to listen to me. You're a Christian woman. Your husband's not a Christian. And you're upset because you see men who love their wives in a way your husband can't love you because he's just not able to because he don't, he don't have Jesus enabling him and... You see, you hear these wives talk about their husband-led devotion and, and their husband prayed over their family and stuff, and you want that so bad, you want that so bad. Let me tell you what the devil will do. Let me tell you what the devil will do. He will bring a Christian man into your life and make you attracted to him. You say, whoa, whoa, we're talking, I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm telling you right now, he is so subtle. He's such a liar and a trickster. That's from um, The Hobbit. He's a trickster. And so, so some of y'all get that going home. Listen, so, so you women out there who your husband's not with you today or maybe he is with you, and you're just like, man, I'm just so frustrated. I wish he'd be a man of God. I, I hear this other girlfriend of mine talking about her husband. And what's going to happen is the enemy's going to see your deep, deep, deep desire for that, and he's going to bring somebody across your path. And he might not be interested because he's walking with God, but you're going to become attracted to him. And it's not because you're not attracted to your husband. It's that, it's that godliness in him that attracts you, but the enemy's going to try to pervert that. You say, Pastor, why do you even bring that up? Because I've seen it. I've seen it in the church. I've seen inappropriate relationships in the church and people cloak it with spirituality. Makes me sick. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? The other thing I want to warn you ladies about is, and this goes for men and ladies, if you got a if you're a Christian and your spouse is not a Christian, the enemy's going to come and go, you know what you've tried and tried and tried? You need to leave them. And you're going to think you've got a grounds for separation. I'm not even going to talk about divorce. You think you've got a grounds for separation because they are not the godly man or the godly woman you want them to be. You do not have grounds for separation. If you leave your spouse because they're not as godly as you want them to be, then you've done something ungodly. Y'all with me? Question number five. Is it okay to divorce? And then I added this question. This was a different question, but I just put it right in with this one. What does God feel about divorce when there's abuse going on? So we're going to talk about that. The only two reasons that the Bible gives for divorce is found in Matthew chapter 5. Now, you need to write this down because it's not in your notes. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, and 1 Corinthians 7. And it is for adultery, and it is for desertion. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying... 
And I know this is going to sound, look now, what I'm about to say is going to sound so weird to you. It is going to sound so odd to you because I know what they're telling you out there. Buddy, my wife commits adultery on me. She, I'm out of here. My husband commits adultery on me. I'm out of here. I'm telling you right now, the Bible does not give you that right. And I know that's hard to hear. I know it is. And I know what seems fair and what don't seem fair. And it doesn't seem, I know that. But look, if God based everything on fairness, he would have never died on the cross for you because that's the most unfair event that ever happened in history. Amen. Now, what this means is if a person has a pattern of adultery and will not stop committing adultery, then there will come a time when the Holy Spirit will release you in that marriage. Now, I don't know when that time is for you. That is a time you got to determine. But it comes after a pattern of, it comes after counseling, it comes after you doing everything in your power you can to salvage that marriage. And I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to be real blunt with you here. We got people who have been a part of this church family and my 24 who have given up on marriage way too quick. And it's a sin. God isn't pleased with it. Listen, people, God takes marriage very, very, very seriously. It is not something you can throw out the window and go, well, I just don't like this anymore. I'm just not happy anymore. Me, 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 me. You don't get to throw marriage away like that. So you are to give it everything you've got. Desertion, of course, simply meaning um, this most of the time is in the area of the man. It can be in the area of the woman. We could go into a lot of detail about what this means. But it means just giving up on the marriage, not, not adding to the marriage, men not taking care of their family, men not paying the bills, men not working, uh, not because they can't work or they're disabled, but just being lazy and not taking care of their family, men leaving and uh, saying, I'll be back in a couple days, not showing up for months. And uh, that, that's a desertion. That's just some... Illustrations, but I've got stories where it's been done by women as well, not just men. And so desertion, a pattern of desertion. Though there is deep pain from the betrayal of adultery, and though there is deep pain and suffering from the betrayal of desertion, a marriage can still be rescued. It can even thrive if both parties are willing to come together and say, I want to work on this, let's fix this. You know how I know that? I mean, there's a lot of ways I know that, but Scott and Sherry Jennings is one reason I know that. Scott and Sherry Jennings are, are our own staff at our church full-time. That's what happened to them. They got married, and Scott will tell you this story. He, he went away from God, and, and uh, Sherry went toward God, and, and uh, Scott left and, and had an affair, and Sherry uh, pursued God and wouldn't give up on that marriage and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for Scott, and uh, got, Scott got saved, and they had another marriage, and now they are marriage counselors and ministers in the bridge. Amen, amen. So don't tell me it's impossible. Is it difficult? Yes. You got to fight. You got to fight. But it's not impossible. Now let's look at the second part of that question where we're going to talk about physical abuse. What if there's physical abuse? Well, ladies, here's what I, I advise you to do. Get a baseball bat. 
Seriously, it's what I want to do. I got to tell you, I get carnal. When I hear about a man beating up a woman, I get, I, I'm, not, I'm like, you know, sometimes I wonder if I really am saved. Because I get pleasure out of thinking about me beating that guy with that baseball bat. I'm just confessing right here before you. I, you know, it, it just amazes me. Why don't that guy who beats up on that woman, why don't he go find somebody his size and take a swipe at them? I don't usually use the word wuss, but I'll use it right here. That guy right there, that's what he is. And yeah, that is a Greek word. <laughs> Serious advice. Here it comes. Here it comes. Serious advice. I'm about to give you five steps. I'm about to give you ladies who are going through this or any family member or friend you have some steps to go through if there's, if there's abuse. Number one, you've got to get professional help. You've got to get some professional help. As difficult as it is for you to admit it, listen to me, you're a victim. If you're getting beat up by your husband, I don't care if it's once a year. I don't care if it's just when he gets drunk. I don't care. I mean, it's just when he gets drunk. When he's not drunk, he's so sweet. And then I've heard the other way around. They wish he would stay drunk because he's sweeter when he's drunk. The, the, it's amazing to me what women put up with when it comes to this and what they don't want to they don't want to deal with it you are a victim of domestic abuse you hate to think of yourself as that but your husband is abusing you and without professional intervention there's a good chance that things are going to go downhill and i hate to tell you this but men who have abused their wives in the past are very likely to abuse them again and the next time you may suffer a very serious injury or even death so professional help. Number two, break the silence. You've got to talk to people. You've got to find a woman you know, find a friend or a family member you trust and share that with them, sit down with them, talk to them about what, God, what is going on here and what, what your husband is doing to you. Talk to um, your parents. If you have a good relationship with your parents, uh, talk to them and, and get them involved and let them know about what's going on with your husband's abusive behavior. Number three, you need a safety plan. And I know you're going to feel like I'm taking it too far, but I am not taking it too far. At the first sign of anger, uh, you need to be ready to act. You need to be ready to act. You need to be ready to leave the house and go to a prearranged place uh, where you can have safety, where he cannot find you. Um, a friend's home, a family member's home. It's a good idea to have some extra clothing and toiletries in the trunk of the car so you, when you get in your car, you're good to go and be somewhere for a few days if you need to. If your husband threatens you as you're leaving, then on the way you text, you call 911 and file a police report. You say, Pastor, I'm talking about somebody's life here. I'm talking about somebody's life. Absolutely. And you might be sitting out there, some guy, and you go, well, I hit on her a little bit, but there's no call for all that. You let some guy beat on you, and let's see how you react to it. I'm getting upset. Simmer down. You need to find a supportive counselor who can help you develop a plan to confront the abuse and protect yourself. The next thing you need to do is um, you need to realize that that abuser is going to always, almost always, beg you for forgiveness and tell you he's never going to do it again. I'm telling you, 99.9% .9 of the time, that's a lie. 
As much as you're tempted to believe him, don't believe him. Make him prove himself. Set a deadline for him to start counseling. If he don't go to counseling, then you don't give in. Stay strong. It may be necessary that you separate from him for a while. Now, this is a situation where I will advise separation. If your life's in danger, if, you're, if your body is in danger of injury, um, we're going to talk about that, and uh, it, we, will, we will help you with that because we don't want you to be hurt. Now, we want to help him. We want to help him if he'll let us help him, but what we've got to do until he gets the help that we need is we've got to get you safe. We've got to get you somewhere in a safe place. Listen, we've had women walk in our office beat up, bruised up, bloodied up, split lips, bruises on their arms. Taking these steps are going to require a great deal of courage for you ladies. And maybe you're sitting here today and going, Pastor, thank God it isn't me, but I got a friend. Then you tell your friend this. You tell your friend this. It takes a lot of courage, but these steps are essential. Listen to me. Here's the bottom line. You say, well, I love him. Well, listen, the most loving thing you can do for him is get him some help. That's the most loving thing you can do for him. The worst thing you can do for him is let it go on. And let him keep going, I promise, baby, I promise. You know, if you can get that eye open just a little bit and look at me. I promise I'm never going to do this again. Question number six. Is it okay to divorce after your kids are grown? Is that a legitimate excuse? How does it affect them? Here's what I suspect on this question, is that the, ever who wrote this question, their spouse is telling them that. Their spouse who wants the marriage to be over is telling them, I'm going to stay with you, but when the children get grown, I'm leaving you. So based on number five that we just answered, the answer is no. It is not a, an excuse to, to uh, get a divorce. It is not only, it, it is not okay to divorce uh, after your children become adults. It's not, it's not okay to divorce any time until you have faced the adultery situation or the desertion situation and you have done everything you can. It is not a legitimate excuse. And say, well, how does it affect the children? It's always negative. It's always negative. You say, yeah, but if we stay in the home fighting, I mean, that's what, well, get some help. Get some help. Put the same energy in getting a divorce. Put that same energy in counseling. And I can tell you right now, you say, well, how much does counseling cost? Well, around here it doesn't cost anything, but if it does cost you something, it's not going to cost you near as much as a divorce. Question number seven. I had a civil ceremony. Does God recognize that ceremony? In other words, they were married by justice of the peace. Yes, God does recognize that. You don't have to worry about that. God does recognize it. But let me say this about that. If you ever want to have a Christian service, we'll help you. And you can renew your vows in a Christian service. Now, I'm not saying that as a legalistic thing that you've got to do it. That's between you and God. But I want to tell you that Scott and Sherry will be glad to work with you and if you were married by justice of the peace, God recognizes that. But if you want to have a Christian ceremony, we'll, we'll help you pull that off. Okay? And can I tell you something about that? We don't have to spend a bunch of money. 
we can just get a bunch of friends here. And uh, there has to be food, though. That is a requirement. But we'll just get a bunch of friends here. And we'll have the ceremony, man. But you don't have to do that. That's between you and God. Question number eight. What about interracial marriage? This is going to be easy. There's absolutely no scriptural grounds for, or biblical authority in the Old Testament or the New Testament that forbids interracial marriage. Now, you might be uncomfortable with it because of how you were brought up. But, and, I, and let me just tell y'all something. Quit sending your kids to me who have gotten attracted to somebody in another race for me to tell them it's a sin. I'm not going to tell them it's a sin. There's nothing in the Bible that causes it, calls, calls it a sin. Now, I know that's going against the grain with some of you, but I'm telling you right now, if you can show me a scripture, and don't go to the scripture that talks about the Jewish uh, people not intermingling in, in their marriage. That has nothing to do with whether or not a person of one race can marry another, a person of another race. Now, we're in the South down here. Are there going to be some challenges with that? Yeah, probably. But don't, don't. To look at me and go, you need to tell people this is sin. My old granddaddy, oh, well, I don't know what your granddaddy said, but he ain't Jesus. Now, that's bad English, but it's good preaching. Uh, some people think grandma's got more um, authority than Jesus. My grandma always told me, read a Bible. Honestly. Okay, settled? You say, not for me. Well, that's your problem. Question number nine. What does it mean to be unequally yoked in marriage? Here's what that means. You get up in the morning, you put two eggs in the pan. One's got a big yolk, one's got a little yolk. You need to toss that out. Let's all be dismissed. Okay. I can just see somebody out there going, I always wondered what that meant. I've been sinning for years. Okay. <laughs> what does it mean to be unequally yoked? 2 Corinthians 6 14. 2 Corinthians 6 14. Paul says, believers should not be unequally yoked with non believers. Now, that, that was not talking specifically about marriage, it was just talking about being bound in a relationship, a friendship. But I don't know of any relationship that's more binding than a marriage. So does it apply to marriage? Absolutely. A believer should never marry an unbeliever. Now, I know when I say that, there's some people probably sitting here getting mad because he's purdy and I love him. But I'm telling you, this is one of those things that's in the Bible that people don't like, and it is not there to deprive you. It's there to help you. So yoked means, it gives us the picture of two oxen that are bound together by a yoke. Now, it was a piece of wood that laid across the neck of both animals, it had a looping piece of wood that went under their neck and they walked side by side pulling the plow. But sometimes they would be unequally yoked. After service this morning, 
uh, somebody came up to me and was telling me about, uh, uh, they were studying this one time and they read a, a Bible study and it talked about sometimes they would yoke a donkey to a camel. Now that's unequally yoked right there. I mean, that's got the yoke like that, you know? And, and they talked about when they did that Bible study how that, you know, people when they were really, really poor, they didn't have oxen. I mean, back in Bible days, if you had an oxen, it was like having a Mercedes Benz. You know, it was just really, really uh, nice and, and it meant that you had some wealth. You had some income that allowed you to have that. But so poor people would, would yoke, un, you know, different animals together and it caused all kind of problems. So Paul uses that as an illustration for a proper and an improper relationship, and it's really used often in Scripture. The oxen, the two animals that are connected through that yoke, have to be pulling in the same direction. If they're not pulling in the same direction, they fight with each other, and they get very tired very quickly because they're pulling against each other. So if you're unequally yoked, the reason God says don't be unequally yoked in your relationship, in your marriage relationship, is because you're going to be pulling against each other, and it's going to cause fights, and it's going to cause you to get tired and want to just give up on the marriage. Okay? Um, I know there's somebody out there right now, and they're asking this question. Well, why is it? That two people who enjoy one another and we are, we are attracted to one another and we love each other. I mean, why is that not enough to sustain a relationship? Well, let me just answer that by asking you to consider a few questions, okay? Let's say you're about to, you're a follower of Jesus. Let's say you're a Jesus follower and you're about to marry somebody who is, uh, who's not a Jesus follower. Before you marry them, I want you to answer these questions for me. If you're the Jesus follower, who's going to come first, Jesus or that spouse? And if you put Jesus first, how will you explain to that spouse and help them understand that they're not first in your life? When they don't even have a spiritual mind, they can't comprehend spiritual things, but you're going to explain to them something spiritual. How's that going to work? Will your spouse's indifference to God affect your walk with God? You say, I'm going to marry him and I'm going to change him. I was not born last night. I, I've been doing this a long time, boys and girls, and I've seen it over and over. You know what I've seen? I've seen the Bible come out true every time. Every time i got to tell you, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time, it goes the other way. It goes the other way. Here's, some, here's another question you need to answer. How will you explain to your unbelieving spouse how God guides you and that you've made some decisions based on his guidance and they don't like the decisions you've made and you're trying to explain to them why you made those decisions. So you get the Bible out and you go, well, honey, you know, He's going, I don't want to look at the Bible. We're not doing it. You're not doing that. And then we got problems. What if you believe that God wants you to accomplish something together as a couple? How can you do that? 
What if God leads you to stop practicing a bad habit, a particular habit you have, and God comes and he tells you he doesn't want you to do that anymore? Will your mate who doesn't believe understand? Or will your uh, mate who doesn't believe think that's uh, unreasonable, especially since everybody else is doing it? If you have children, is your unbelieving mate going to let you raise those children to follow Jesus? Will your unbelieving spouse object when you want to take the kids to church and or Christian functions? Will your spouse's unbelief hinder your children from serving Jesus? Or how about your grandchildren? You know, there's children coming probably and grandchildren. I mean, if you marry an unbeliever, he could have more influence over them than you do and it would affect their eternity and where they spend it. I don't know about y'all, but I think that's pretty serious stuff right there. When you and your spouse have a disagreement, will your mate have the capacity to forgive? I mean, it's hard enough to forgive when you know Jesus. Amen? How difficult will it be to forgive him for, to forgive or her to forgive not knowing Jesus? Just some things to think about. Well-meaning Christians too often fall in the trap of marrying non-believers. Now, it's really important for you girls to know something. It's really important for you guys to know something. When you talk to your mate about where are you with God, you need to be very, very specific. Because I'm going to tell you, when a guy really wants to marry a girl, he'll go, yeah, yeah, man, I got baptized when I was four. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. Here's what they mean. They know about Jesus. Or they were brought up in a church where when they were christened or baptized, they were told that made them a Christian. So they're looking at you because I've counseled these people. I know. And I mean, they get mad when you go, well, when did you, when did you say I am a sinner and I need Jesus Christ to come into my life and take over my life? Tell me about that day. And you can see their face turn red because they've never had that day. You need to look at whoever you're going to marry and go, I know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior and I want to share my testimony with you about how I came to Christ and then I want you to share your testimony with me because you told me you know Jesus so I want you to share your personal testimony with me about how you came to know Jesus and that's going to tell the story right there. You say, well, I don't care what you say. Pastor, I'm going to marry you. That's fine. You can do whatever you want to. I'm just the mailman. I'm just the preacher telling you what God said. Marriage based on common faith is for your benefit. It's not to deprive you. Marriage based on common faith is so you'll be blessed. Marriage based on common faith is for your protection. God wants what is absolutely best for you. So make the decision to follow him and let him pick the right person for you. So I want to just tell you, and I, I know I'm going over my time, but I want to just tell you, no staff member at the bridge is going to marry an unbeliever and a believer, not if we know it. And I'm telling you right now, again, we've had people get mad about that and leave the church. And it's amazing because those same people, when it, was, when it applied to somebody else, they were all for it. But when it applied to their family, they got mad at us. But it's across the board, man. It's across the board. We're going to require premarital counseling. It is a series of classes. We're going to require you to take an assessment. And we're going to go through that assessment and because it points out differences. And we're going to sit down with you privately. And I'm telling you right now, you go, oh, you're going through all that. Well, you're not going to get married in this church. 
I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, I look back over my ministry and I saw about as many couples divorcing that I had married who were staying together. And, and when you see that as a preacher, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, as a man of God, that brings conviction in your life. And I said, we got to fix that. And I sat down with Scott and Sherry and we, we created a, a, and you don't have to go to this church to go through that. If you know somebody that's going to another church and they go, man, I wish we had that, they can come through ours. They slip me a 10, they can come right through ours. <laughs> had, to loosen, had to lighten it up there a little bit. Y'all were getting too serious. I was getting this look from y'all. Okay. So guys, hey, this thing of marriage is serious. I'm telling you, we treat it flippantly. We treat it like it's nothing. We treat it like it's not sacred. We treat it like it's not holy. We, we, we separate and divorce and remarry without any pastoral counseling, without ever talking to the pastor. We just do what we want to do when we do what feels good. And I'm telling you, it is wrong, guys. It's wrong, and God isn't pleased with it. Marriage is a serious thing to God. And you don't get to just throw marriages away and go, oh, he's forgiving. God forgives, man. God don't forgive that attitude right there. That's, a, you have, that's not even repentance. I'm getting upset again. So we've talked about some tough issues. I want to make it very clear that if you have seen yourself in the sermon today and you feel conviction and you're like, man, I will say something to you. You are not damaged goods. You are not damaged goods. I'm not preaching this to be judgmental. I'm preaching this to tell you what is best for your life is what is going to bring more joy in your life. I'm preaching to you a decision process that you can go through that will bring fulfillment and blessing and protection in your life. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. You say, Pastor, but listening to that, I have done so many things wrong. I mean, I sinned in the way I left and my spouse, and I sinned in the way I remarried, and I sinned, and I didn't ask God, and I did my own thing. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you can bring every bit of that to his feet, and he will forgive you and wash you and use you mightily to do great things in his church. So I want to leave you with that, but you've got to deal with it. If you look back over your life and you didn't do things right, go back and, and bring that up to God and go, God, I didn't handle that right and I know I didn't and I've tried to ignore it all these years and act like I had all the reason in the world to do it, but I, I could have done it different. I should have done it different. I should have let you in more on the process and, and I didn't and I just want to admit that. I'm telling you, God loves that kind of stuff. He loves that kind of humility. He loves that kind of repentance and it just opens up the gateway of his blessing to be poured into your life. Does, that, does this make sense? Everybody all right? Is this the kind of church you want us to be? I mean, we're going to rock it, we're going to sing, we're going to laugh, we're going to have a great time, but we're going to preach the truth up in here. We're going to preach the truth of God's Word.